0: Hello and welcome to What The Lux with me Fred Moore and me Anant Sharma. Together we lead Matterform, brand and experience design consultancy headquartered in London and this is a podcast that calls time on tired ideas of luxury. And alongside industry luminaries and thought leaders, we explore what truly defines category-leading products and experiences. Stories make the world go round, and every brand has a message that needs to be heard. Today we're delighted to welcome to the podcast Adam Blackwood, founder and creative director of Private Drama Events. Private Drama Events borrow the best from the world of theatre and apply it to the world of business. They conceptualise and execute a range of live events that bring a brand's message to life in that much more of a daring, entertaining and vibrant manner. From a murder mystery concept on Belmont's British Pullman train, to operatic productions for Rolex. In an age when brands themselves acknowledge the need to be more vulnerable, humorous, engaging and transparent, the world of live performance is a significant opportunity for those who are willing, like the producer of a new West End production, to take a creative risk in the live setting and connect with people in this most unique of methods. I hope you enjoy the episode. Adam, good morning and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Where are you speaking from today? I'm today in sunny Shepherd's Bush, uh, which is actually where my home is, part-time
1: office and uh, close to where we normally work out of at Soho Works at White
0: City. But uh, here we are. Brilliant. And I'm looking forward to today. I think what you do, which we'll get onto, is, um, is really interesting and it's at the intersection of where brands need to be. So let's start with that. Tell us sort of the specifics of what private drama events does, just so that the listeners can understand, um, what is it you typically do? So on a a specific
1: level, it's really taking our talents of storytelling and applying that to a specific brand or client that we're working with. So a good example would be Rolex would be taking the celebration of a product launch uh, within that and for its clients and bringing that narrative to life in, in the way that we're doing. Or, for example, opening a, a shopping centre in Oxford, such as Westgate, which is really bringing the stories of Oxford and how they align themselves with those luxury brands in, uh, in Oxford. Um, and that became something that was called Shop Attainment, um, which we created uh, around that launch. So that, that hopefully those are two examples of, of that storytelling aligning itself with a, with a brand or with a shopping end. Uh, shopping centre opening
0: yeah and, and who's the um, cast of people involved typically in what you put on from from once you have sold it in to I guess the narrative and, and coming up with the story and to the actual execution of the production who's involved in all of that is it similar to theatre
1: it has some degrees of theatre in terms of often it, uh, thought of as a as a three act play, uh, a start, uh, an opener, uh, a middle act, and a closer. Um, but uh, it can include so many different things because it's not just about entertainment; it's also about what you're. Tasting it might be what you're just seeing and also what you're hearing. So it's it's a holistic experience that we approach. But but many of it is really if if we're thinking about theatre we
0: are thinking definitely we're in the private drama territory there in terms of the sweet spot. Do brands come to you typically with a fully-fledged idea? We want to have a murdery mystery experience on a train. Or do they quite often leave it to you to come up with something completely from a blank drawing board?
1: A hundred percent. Well, uh, yes, a hundred percent. Generally, they come to us not having an idea. And say, okay, can you take this away? And what would you do about it? Because our competitors will are also doing the same thing. So they want to know. Um, what they come up with in terms of your ideas. Always one of those difficult things of how much you're willing to give away in terms of winning pitches. Much easier where we have clients, obviously, where, where people want to work with us so then we, we're happy to give them far more information. That's a whole other question around pitching and attaching value to pitches. But yes, we will dream up whatever the narrative and story is around what our what our client would like us to do um, for a particular event
0: when you started it did you notice a specific gap in the events industry or were there other people doing it but you've just found a different way you found a different way to do it
1: I think there have been some people doing it but I've definitely found a way into it that is a combination of standards um, of the kind of collaborators that I work with creatively and our approach is to really use all that creative energy and, uh, and fuel and petrol around bringing something to life. I think that's something that people have come to us is that they've heard from other things that people have done and they trust you and and that approach to work and that that always we hear great stuff around people having
0: you you guys have really high standards and i think uh, our listeners mostly will understand why brands do this this kind of marketing or this this method of connecting with their their customers or their audience it's part of obviously being more human more vulnerable more interesting more funny you, you know so all, all these things which i think brands need to have in terms of a a direct connection but how do you stop it going wrong we all know that brilliant plays brilliant films or brilliant film directors will sometimes if they're pushing the boundaries one in every three might have some issues or be a flop how do you guarantee to brands that that it's not going to go wrong well the honest answer is there's no guarantee but what you
1: try to do is mitigate that by really making sure that you have understood and listened. I spend an awful lot of time doing a lot of listening, asking all those questions in terms of diving deep into it. That, that is a really important part. And then how you turn that out and turn that idea that you're bringing to life and, and how that might impact on the audience and guest that's going to experience this and then having the belief that you can make it work through the experience and knowledge of people, of your knowledge of people. Understanding people is really important, hearing about who who those guests are going to be, what sort of demographic are those people, how they might respond in this circumstance. As much as it goes back to the storytelling or to the theatre, Okay, if we're going to put on in the West End Titus Andronicus, where there's a huge amount of murder and people are cut off, how well is that going to go? So, how do we market that? How do we position something like that to be okay, that actually that is something that people are going to. come to. So similarly, it's just doing an awful lot of thinking and about getting the creation right and how
0: that's going to affect the audience and how they're going to respond to that. There's a, probably a traditional dynamic, or at least I've perceived this in the past, of the creative professions, or cer- certainly the acting profession, or the, the, similar to that, and the business profession, misunderstanding each other, perhaps an element of distrust. Now, this is what you do is obviously an example of the two sides coming together very, very closely. Do you think it is changing? Do you think that the business profession understands better the the craft of storytelling and how useful that is. And dare I say it, the acting profession or the creative professions might be a bit more sympathetic to what businesses kind of do. Those two worlds are far less suspicious of each other than they might have been 30 years
1: ago. 30 years ago, the, the creatives, uh, musicians, actors don't really want to have anything to do with business. They just want to be able to someone to buy tickets and they're going to come and they can do what they do. But now that world has changed because uh, the financing of these things is, is very different. And also, I think it's very not helpful to understand other people's worlds that they're living in. And as these, as these two worlds started to come together, through some of the work that were audiences were more coming together through companies like Punch Drunk, were involved in immersive theatre, which is what Punch Drunk was all about, placing an audience into the middle, which they could interact with. That has broken down people's experience and and taking away some of those preconceptions. And so now what we have is that business is interested in, uh, and I use that widely, uh, about that creative spark. They're looking for that creative spark, and often that creative spark is coming from uh, risk-taking and creative ideas. So that that actually becomes really interesting. And if you can collide those two things together, then you can come up with really great ideas of understanding what business wants, brands want, and what the community can bring, bring to the table. I mean, Punchdrunk themselves did some work for Louis Vuitton when uh, they first got to know uh, Punchdrunk, seeing actually the, the experience of looking at their luggage and, and how live actors could bring that to life and, uh, and differentiate that from a, a, an unusual experience. So it's, it's very much so. I think now there's a, a lot less suspicion between those two communities.
0: One thing we'd love to know, with a private drama event, what is it you're trying to change in the minds of the customers about the brand? So before they experience one of your events and then after what are the kind of things that change in their relationship with the brand
1: i think that we would want them to respond by their loyalty and that loyalty comes about through often through the pillars of that of that organization that luxury brand and they want to know that something that is differentiated about their experience and that that experience has been uh, thoughtfully created, that it's personal, that it's human and it's authentic, and if those things are got right, then that loyalty will be there. It's about people by people, not necessarily. If you were to buy, I use the sake of example, buying a car, often people will buy the salesman, not the car, and I th- I think that that is enhancing that that guest. Audience experience of whatever that brand is. So that's that, that. to
0: me is the key, really. So, so in a quirky kind of way, you're a an extension of a loyalty program or a loyalty initiative.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose so in some degree. It's um, often it's used very specifically about a pati- particular event, and it might be it's it's um, something a little bit different that they haven't done before. But it still comes back to that personal curated human experience that is so key to that to that loyalty.
0: I think have huge admiration for producers, directors and actors, be that film or stage, because if they're really pushing the kind of artistic limits, you know, there's every chance that no matter what, you know, how much you rehearse or how good you think it is, come the actual run, it can be a flop. And I think the people who really push the boundaries might have a sort of mess-up one in every in every few at least and that's sort of I guess the artistic condition and nature of pushing the boundaries so how do you guarantee to a brand that what you do will not be brand damaging because I think it's on the other hand obviously it's amazing if you get it right you know. Part of it is confidence is
1: belief is belief in what you're doing and and not to necessarily fall at the last minute because you start questioning something and you start changing something because you you divert from what you believe in. So staying with what you believe is the right answer and is going to be something that, that's going to land in the right way. And I think also that... So many times when of things that i 've seen given myself the confidence is where people and it comes back to because it informs so much of my world, the theater world in particular it, is that where people have taken the best risks, great work happens that moves moves our our, our enjoyment as watchers and I, I have no doubt that at the time that uh, Hamilton first came together people went, is this really going to work? And, of course, it did, and how extraordinary that was and how, uh, how that moved musical theatre forward and, and dealt with so many things in terms of the comfort around uh, diversity and casting, in terms of how people perceived theatre could tell a narrative. So I, th- those are the things that I find reassurance and I think that all that rigorous around the creative, you get all the right bits around you... And I have to confess, uh, an awful lot of what I, I do is surrounding my, myself with the best people I can ever work with. And hopefully i get away with this and get it right. Uh, that, that's a, a lot of this is just having
0: very good people who know what they're doing. You've just announced a very, very exciting partnership with the famous hospitality company Belmont um, to do uh, with the British Pullman, their, their um, exquisite train. Uh, can you just talk us through that?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, this this has been the most fantastic journey uh, for us, and su- such belief in Belmont as a company, and they're uh, really bringing us in as a as a partner to reimagine its murder mystery experience, which is um, not something I would say a year ago that I ever thought that this would take us in a world until. Um, we started to have a, an experience. In if I, fact, if, I, if we were to turn the clock back um, to, to March, we had picked up on a, a job that we should have delivered uh, a, a, right in the middle of COVID, but obviously couldn't, and that got reborn uh, in March last year, which was to create the party of a lifetime on board the Venice-Saint-Plan Orient Express. We gathered together an amazing cast of performers who would multi-cast, multi-skill on doing a cabaret and then would, would segue into a mystery. And it was a it was a dream of a job and we talk about anxiety that the stakes were very high of, of putting this onto a, onto a train and and make it all happen literally on a moving train doing a live cabaret with uh, and I, I kid you not with a with a juggler singers and dancers while the train was moving through the Alps we then had a thrill of delivering incredibly successfully and, and Belmont were delighted and we also had the advantage that we were able to film and photograph And we started sharing this, and obviously Belmont have a lot of assets in terms of their hotels and their trains, uh, the Royal Scotsman, British Pullman, uh, and thought, well, maybe this might be picked up by someone else, and we started pushing it. And I was uh, approached by British Pullman to say, look, we're, we're running... Uh, murder mystery at the moment this is what you're doing sounds
0: really exciting to what you've already done could you come and have a look at the train which we did so for for context the British Pullman obviously is not the Orient Express it's a bit later isn't it so we're all th- obviously you did the original murder mystery and I guess that's leaning on the Agatha Christie references a murder on the Orient Express. But what's great about the Pullman is it comes a little later, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: and this was very considered in terms of the difference between the Venice saint Orient Express and British Pullman. In that most uh, all the carriages, whilst they went into disuse later, after after the sort of uh, height of its time, 60s, 70s, went, just went out. They pulled all these carriages together, and and we thought, well, this looks far more like 1950, whilst there's lots of Art Deco elements to the train. So we thought, how how much fun would it be to uh, really? dive deep into the 50s and discovered a fantastic story which I didn't even know, which was the Festival of Britain happened in 1951. And in 1951, people travelled from all over the world, including from the UK, to London to begin with, to see uh, on the South Bank this incredible Festival of Britain celebrating all the successes in in movement of train and travel and also had, in Battersea, had a pleasure park and people were travelling from Trinidad. The first steel band was playing uh, on the South Bank. No one had ever heard steel, steel music before. And this seemed like a, a melting pot of different cultures and they had to travel to get to the pleasure guards, they would come to Victoria. So here was a great jump off for a murder mystery, was the fact that all these different people would be coming to Battersea and how would they get there? By train. And so we've used that as a jump off point to tell a narrative around people who are travelling
0: or travelling from that and are embarking on the train. It shows how hospi- this sort of definition of hospitality or what people can expect from it can move with the times. Whereas it's not just being fed and watered and exceptional service. You know, people, you know, you, it's another world. It's it's escaping really a good travel or hospitality experience. And this sort of immersive murder mystery. Uh, concept is is a really wonderful new kind of area I hadn't thought of, where people can still be in a very sort of luxury context and still get the best best of everything but actually just escape the real world in a way that's clearly exceptionally produced and um, what's the cast is this we're we talking five ten I'm going to say this
1: there are as many actors as there are carriages on the train So uh, we'll leave people to find that out. Uh, What I would say, you wouldn't be disappointed if you went to the theatre and saw a whole cast, a diverse cast of characters. And I suppose like Glass Onion or See How They Run, there'll be a whole cast of characters to meet as you embark. I suppose it's, it's interesting because from some of the work that I've done, we were almost in another world. I had a lovely client whose birthday wanted to, who said she could be... Uh, 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 open an art gallery or run away to the circus and she opened an art gallery in New York and didn't run away to the circus but she always (laughs) wanted to run away to the circus and I got this dream job of creating a circus for a a party on the beach in the Hamptons in in New York and to literally create that from scratch and it was a, a birthday dinner but the whole party and dinner was a circus and uh, that knowledge that I learned from that actually is, is that luxury dining experience
0: translate that over to the train and actually it's kind of the same world and and you talk about luxury because clearly this is the context for Belmont on this podcast a matterform we are um, I think we have our own view of luxury which is very much not of um, the kind of 1980s grotesque excess consumption element of it, and it's more around experiences. What does luxury mean to you, Adam? You work with a lot of these brands. Something curated. Something personal is very
1: human and personal, that, that to me feels so that if I go into a restaurant or if I go into Claridge's or if I go into a shop, And they know who I am and that there is some connection. I actually feel I'm making, immediately making a a connection. And it's that human touch that is about knowing me, the surprise and delight in that.
0: And I I think know-how, expertise, passion and desire, that experience. The other side that would be interesting to know is is around technology and innovation. I mean, in COVID, did, was it a new thing to, well, did you have success using um, technology to translate your events over the Internet?
1: We did, uh, forced by, you either sink or swim. I mean, so literally our, our industry, we, we were set to um, do a huge amount of work. And like everyone else, that just went because we were about live interaction and very quickly started researching into how can you have an exp- a meaningful experience. I'll cut to the chase. It, it, is that we got together with a company that we had worked with, Wise Productions, who provide a lot of our technology, our AV and production, and another company called um, Solar Flare, uh, who produce uh, AV equipment exp- into experience. And we devised, really born of my own belief, that there was a way to to build a virtual space in which we could host an event but that it needed to be as filmic and interactive as possible as opposed to an awful lot of what many of us have experienced was terrible. And we, we did a lot of research into it and, and uh, started working with software called Unreal Engine, which is what's used in filmmaking for creating uh, worlds and virtual, and and
0: built what was a bit like Quaglinos, into which you could move within the space, for context, Quaglino's, that's the restaurant with the extraordinary decor in the uh, Conrad restaurant, wasn't it, in the West End? Yeah, it was.
1: It was So the kind of events that, that, that we work in w- was like somewhere with a reception area and a, a, a dinner, a potentially a dinner space. It might have an entertaining space, a theatre space. And we, we created this kind of 360 world that you could move in and place it. We could even reskin it like architecture and change the fabrics within it and, and launched it. I think we were lucky enough to be trusted by some very prestigious companies, and they said, OK, we'll go for this, and, and took a bit of a risk on it. We did, over a period of about six months, we we had something like 4,000 guests came into this space to come into this world and be part of this world. And, and we used a lot of trickery of pre-filming stuff, which we recorded and put it in, and then we had live stuff. and uh, Everything done on green screen, but to the user you are having this incredible live experience but you could interact with it so that you could actually talk to the person who might be the host or the MC and we did that using an app uh, that they could actually so almost within about Five seconds we were getting real dialogue happening. It saved us really in terms of through that period of staying engaged, staying live, working with all the communities
0: that we work, work, work with who are suppliers. Is that something that's carried on since COVID alongside the, the real world events? Well, it's very interesting. I think within the
1: space when we got to about May 2020 um oh no later than that 2021 May 2021 that had run out everyone started to see you know but it's going to be over coming soon we could start doing stuff so by September we were back up again which is a bit of a full step but but in terms of what you, more your question Fred in terms of has it carried on I think that live is so important and so human that the the virtual element was um, yet great from a point of view, from a green point of view, and avoiding travel, uh, unnecessary travel and all of that. But having said that, you just getting people together at, at any
0: time—you you just can't underestimate that it it's still winning. It was but a brief intermission, rather than a, a fundamental trend. What the, the you're saying the appetite for it actually isn't there when you've got the real-world alternative?
1: I I think that happened. All those questions that we asked and we asked ourselves during that time that we were staging virtual events, we thought, well, maybe this is the future or maybe the two things will operate side by side. And I I think, you know, in in my general much wider world in terms of events, the conference world, which I'm not really connected with, that still carried on because you can argue, well, actually, why are we flying people from all over the world for X, Y and Z? But um, it's interesting that Davos, for example, has definitely this year big time returned in terms of people flying from all over the world, however we feel about that, in terms of an event stage. People want to be together.
0: Yeah, it's context, isn't it? The uh, really kind of one-on-one human events, even if they're conferences, they're needed, entertainment is needed in the real world, but I think sort of mass events which might have more of a sales focus, where you're booked in for 20-minute chats, I can see that that would be online forevermore. Just related to that, actually, you talk about something that's very true, which is it needs to have a filmic quality. It needs to be incredibly. You, you realise that naturally, you would, given your background, that if it was to work in COVID, it needs to be incredibly, high, but it needs to have high production values and feel really good. The technology will get there in the metaverse sense. Can you see in five or ten years' time you doing the stuff in the metaverse, or do you still think the same principles apply, as you just said? It has to be in person for entertainment to be truly valuable. What I've seen so far, which is kind of the ocular version or the,
1: or, or the, the Google software that exists, still isolates you into your own world that you're shut into. It depends how sophisticated it becomes in the, in the metaverse world of, of being there. So I know during COVID, uh, in terms of our own uh, research, theatre companies started to try and mean that you could, through a three, 3D v- viewing, you know, through, uh, through a, a, um, a headset, actually be there watching the theatre. But the thing is, the, the, what's missing there... Is that we're not sitting together experiencing it. I'm I'm having an experience with someone else. I'm not reacting together, and I think that's the difference. Is that just as I either be on the train uh, that we're about to do on on the Belmont British Pullman. Or if you're going to see Moulin Rouge, it's actually we all went together. A group of you go with a friend, or you're with a group of friends, uh, and you're experiencing something together. And that's different, though, if you went the following night to have that experience. So, I at the moment I wouldn't say the jury's out, but I'm always open to new ideas. But I haven't, I can't, haven't yet seen something that will replicate that thing. That big emotion connection of I really feel something. I've I've had, I, I, I've learned something. I've I, I, I've discovered something.
0: Yeah, I think I, I, I'm in the same camp. But the jury is out, and I'm sure it will happen. But it'll be probably more take more influences from gaming and what's already sort of happening in a similar, well, in the metaverse, effectively, yeah. um, than it will from traditional entertainment or or that that side of things. Adam, we we always ask our guests the same for questions at the end at the end of the podcast so i'm going to put you in the hot seat um the first is what most irritates you about your industry and i suppose that might be the acting profession or you might go wider and talk about kind of brands and marketing
1: i don't want to work with people who don't have high standards there's that expression well it's yes good enough and for me it's not good enough is not good enough in other words so that that is something it's okay um, and I'm not interested in it's okay. And I think just not being good. I mean, we, uh,
0: that's the kind of thing of just people not taking care that I find really irritating. So standards, understood. So Adam, the second question we ask is, um, what most concerns you about the world we're leaving the next generation? Well, I think on a, on a
1: personal level, it's about making a difference and to reflect the world that we live in. And that sort of translates into my work and how we hope what we're doing for the future and for the next generation. And that really is about all those questions that we ask ourselves around, for example, sustainability. Those questions are our clients' being asked those questions and sometimes those questions are a bit more uncomfortable because they might be more expensive but things like how we repurpose the materials that we're using the transport how we're using plastic if we're not using plastic recycling upcycling the designers that that we're using so those things are really important to me and I, I want to feel that the work that we are doing actually has is having an impact for the next generation and in terms of diversity as another really good example it goes without thinking ingrained in the culture of what we do is th- of the community that we reflected and celebrate that of reflecting that d- diversity and uh, you know the, the, i could go on but those those things to me matter and that we would want to leave to the
0: next generation that w- we got that right we got
1: keeping asking ourselves the right question
0: and then adam if you uh, the penultimate question if you had to give up your job tomorrow what would you do I get quite miserable, I think. If I,
1: <laughs> um, I, do, I do really, do, what would I do? That's a very good question. I think I would probably return to doing more acting. If I, if I had to give up this job, I used to do quite a lot of uh, narratives for documentaries, and I used to really enjoy that because you just sat in a studio. If, if, if I couldn't have mobility and engage with people and could only do it at home... Um, I did a lot for National Geographic, and I used to really enjoy that, and it mentally challenging. Uh, so, yes, that's
0: probably the only thing I would do, but I would be very frustrated not to be out there meeting people and doing stuff. Yeah, well, you've got the most wonderful voice for a National Geographic <laughs> documentary. I'd, I'd, I'd listen to that. And that <laughs> the last question, Adam, is uh, what's the most exciting thing for you personally in the next five years? Uh, this crosses both on a personal and
1: on a, on a work level. Uh, because the two things come together, I, and i 'm being I think really honest here, is that up to now, we have to find every single client that we work with, which presents a big challenge and informs the success of, of how that business. and the, this fantastic relationship with Belmont for, for the future, because you know, we've we 're we're contracted now for the next three years. Uh, to deliver this and uh, the appetite uh, is growing for every year. I think uh, we're pretty much sold out for this entire year and we're already talking about uh, the number of dates that we're going to increase for next year. But this collaboration has been one of the most meaningful and enjoyable It's not, it's, you know, I've got fantastic clients we work with, but this is a very meaningful one in that we've been given a huge amount of trust and belief in us. And this has come at a time when, on a a personal level, wanting to have not always that insecurity around, from a family point of view, of, of looking for where the next job is coming. Actually, what we've got here is something really special and it absolutely, we're in the sweet spot of, of what we do well, and we've approached it at a level for Belmont that absolutely sits so brilliantly together. So that, for me, um, we are hopping with excitement at the moment, with the excitement for this, and, and, and I can see that easily sustaining for the next five years so that i'm i'm feel really exciting and and for my my whole family and all the team who work with me behind this it, it's a
0: it's an amazing opportunity amazing well um adam thank you so much for um giving that overview of yourself and private drama events it's been been great and thanks for joining us today
1: yeah it's been really great so thank you for inviting me Fred.
0: thanks so much for listening this has been what the Lux. You can find us on socials at Matraform and drop us any questions or comments on Twitter using the hashtag WhatTheLux. And if you're a luxury brand looking for strategy or design that goes beyond the banal, get in touch via hello at matchaform.com and chat to one of our consultants. And so, until next time.